podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, praise the Lord. We are getting ready to dive back where we picked up here in Acts chapter 8. We are going to finish out that chapter. We are making some progress here. A delightful passage with lots of insights. Uh, Let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Now, Father God, as we see the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Even in this passage, it's breaking out. Life is breaking out. It doesn't respect any boundaries, the gospel of life. It just accomplishes the work that you sent the word to do, the saving of many souls. So as we see how, God, you coordinate our lives in line with your great will, to love others and to share the gospel, to be a light to them. In line with your great heart, you love everyone and you you don't want anybody to perish, but everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So help us to be helpful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We call them divine appointments, and it's the term that we use for those super crazy coincidences. They're so over the top. There's no other explanation for them except the providential, supernatural hand of God arranging everything. And he coordinates these so-called chance encounters with a purpose to help somebody who needs the Lord. We shouldn't be shocked when he does it. The Proverbs tells us, uh, we plan our day, but the Lord orders our steps. Now, the priority that God uses to guide us in our steps is how we might be helpful to others for the sake of the gospel because God speaks through our lips and he comforts through our lives. I was substitute teaching. I did that for five years when the church was young. Early days, I was subbing at Maria Carrillo High School And I walked into an assigned classroom. The lights were off, but there was a teacher in there getting ready to leave, I guess. He was just hanging up the phone that was attached to the wall right by the door there in the back. And then I walked in there, and he got off the phone, and he said, Well, I just found out that I have cancer. And he goes, It's serious, too. He goes, Now what? I'm standing in a dark classroom with a man who's telling me about his cancer diagnosis. And I get to say, man, I know 
exactly how you feel because I got that phone call too 10 years ago. I have a wife and three little kids. I felt like the wind was knocked out of me too. But look at me, 10 years. Now it's 20 years and doing just fine. I said, hey, listen. I said, yeah, praise God. I said, hey, listen, would you mind if I prayed? I'm a Christian. I might have said I'm a pastor. <laughs> and uh, he said, absolutely, please. So I prayed a very gospel-forward prayer. And he walked out of that dark classroom, having just received the worst news anybody could ever get, with words of hope, words of eternal life ringing in his head. Because God loves him and wants to save him. So he worked before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. He arranges these intersections. He predestines us to find these good works in Christ. And so he spent a lot of time making sure that I was not at Elsie Allen High School that morning that I picked up and I went to Maria Carrillo instead of another high school, that I wasn't in the courtyard getting the cup of coffee that I wanted, but decided I'm just going to go to the classroom and arrange the doctor's schedule. So much had to happen to get me in that room at that time for that second with that man. But because of God's great love, he ordered our steps, and he made a divine appointment. This morning, we close out the chapter with one such divine appointment that shows off the amazing talent of our all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-at-once, compassionate Father in heaven who desires that nobody perish, but everyone come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. It's Deacon Philip's turn to have his footsteps and his schedule manipulated by the Most High God. And, you know, when God does these things, we don't even know he's doing it until after the fact we usually catch on. Oh, that must have been the Lord. You'll recall in Jerusalem, there's a mega church now. Check, the gospel's been saturated. There it's time for the yeast that Jesus describes the gospel as coming into the whole lump and a little yeast then will find its way to leaven the entire earth as the, the illustration goes. And so uh, we see the gospel doing that. You know, you can't keep it just hidden in Jerusalem because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but find everlasting life. And so as a result, now you remember last week, the gospel's already spread out to Judea and Sumeria. And now by the end of the divine appointment that you're about to read, uh, the gospel's going to go to the uttermost parts of the world, the then known world, all the way to Ethiopia in Africa. And so let's pick up at verse 26, read to the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza and then all the way into Africa. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace. Candace is really a title, not a first name. It's like Herod. 
So it's the Candace, really, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading out loud, Isaiah the prophet, do, do you understand what you're reading as he jogging along? <laughs> Philip asked him, how can I? This is tough stuff. Someone's got to explain it to me. So he invited Philip to come on up here, sit with me. And the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 8. What a coincidence. (laughs) He was led, now quoting Isaiah, speaking of Messiah who came to suffer and die for our sins. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth in his humiliation He was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants because they executed him? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, please, who's he talking about? Himself or someone else? Or the nation? Israel, when they read that, you read that to a Jew, they'll say he's talking about Israel. Israel is God's son and servant in their minds. So he wants to know... Just explain, who is this amazing person I need to know? So Philip begins with that very passage of Scripture, and he tells them the good news about Jesus. And as they travel along the road, they just happen to come by some water in the desert. You know how that happens all the time, right? And, and so the eunuch says, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? You know, come on. Why, why can't you just baptize me right here and now? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. So in other words, he's not driving. He's not in the driver's seat. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly snatched away. It's the same word for rapture in the Greek. He took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way happy, rejoicing. Philip, however, appears at, he gets beamed back down to Azotus. And that's about 30 miles north. And traveled about, preaching the gospel, picking up where he left off, doing what he's supposed to do, sharing life in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's the passage interesting, wonderful. When you read the Bible, you're always asking, God, what are you saying to me? How do I take the truth I just heard and apply it to make some changes, to prioritize my life and how I live and speak? Maybe the question we ask ourselves or the prayer we reflect upon is, Lord, I want to be more like Philip, open to hear your voice more readily available for divine appointments of effective ministry. I'm hungry for that. I want to be quick to obey when I hear you, like him. Boom, boom, boom. You know, I want to be more effective with lost souls. That's what we're thinking about as we go forward. Let's hit the road, the southern road, with Philip. It's about 60 miles from Samaria to Gaza. And, uh, yeah, 
you know, it's through a lot of wasteland and barrenness that may the same spirit who's directing Philip in this beautiful divine appointment direct our hearts as well. The passage, as I like to say, uh, divides quite nicely, unfolds naturally. Three scenes here. Now, I like alliterations. Alliteration says everything starts with the same letter. It's, it's kind of easy to remember that way. So I'm like, okay, what can I get? Last week when I'm dividing it up, I'm thinking, okay, we've got the angel guiding and prompting, and we've got the spirit speaking and prompting him. It's uh, the prompt. Okay, we've got the prompt. And then the next paragraph He's reading from Isaiah, the prophecy. Oh, we've got the prompt. We've got the prophecy. Even better if it's PR and PR, you know? And so now I searched for an hour. I need another P for the baptism. He gets saved, you know? And so I just couldn't think of anything. So I've come up with this, the prompt, the prophecy, and the baptism. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think you'll remember it. You know? you'll remember. And if you don't find that amusing, uh, you can call it the setup, the follow through, and the end result. This the setup. Verses back on the screen. There you go. You've got two things happening, setting up the divine appointment. You know, there's, there's no, nothing anonymous about the way they meet. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord is speaking to Philip. What? If he speaks to Philip, he speaks to us. Angels talk to us. They prompt us. And we'll talk about that. And then the spirit is speaking to Philip. Further details. Verse 29, let's talk about these. It's very important for you to understand how God is coordinating your footsteps. Because he is. And he's got a purpose. It's twofold. One is to make you more like Jesus, as loving, as morally pure, as patient. And yes, it takes a lifetime. And we'll die incomplete, but we'll awaken his likeness. But just so you know, Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together. The overarching purpose is to conform you to the image of Christ, not necessarily make you happy. Right, So that's the good he's talking about there. The, the thing that uh, is pertinent to our passage is this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, which shows you why is God uh, predestining me and ordering my footsteps? Because it's my purpose. It's why he created us. For we are God's workmanship, handiwork, masterpiece. It's the Greek word for poem. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, gospel-related, Jesus-related good works. A lot of people do good works. But, you know, what the Bible defines a good work is, is that someone who's alive in Christ, who's hearing from God and obeying and making a difference in a church scene, leading somebody to the Lord, carrying out the will of God is a good deed. And it says he predestined them, he planned them before the foundation of the world, really, is the understanding of that. And our job is to find them. And Philip is finding them. He just led a revival in Samaria. And, and now the Lord is saying, okay, done here, check. Time to go south, check. You get there, see that chariot, go over there. He's directing him to help him find the good works that Philip is turning over like hotcakes, he's finding them, but the Spirit helping him. 
And that's how he helps us as well. We can go back to our verses. And so the prompt of an angel. Wow. Angels speak to us. We know that they do. They prompt our thinking. Now they, they have Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Angels are ministering spirits sent from God to serve those who are heirs of salvation. That's you. That's me. Believers. They're sent to help us. They direct us. They guide us. They protect us. This is what they're doing. And right here we see him guiding him. The angel, in angel of the Lord knows the will of God and knows how to impart some communication to us through whatever means possible, through the mouth of somebody else, through the inspiration directly into that person's mind. Yes, angels can manifest themselves in human form and speak audibly as they did to Mary, as they did to the women at the tomb. But they also are, as Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, they're among us, prompting us, protecting us, speaking to us without us even knowing. We're not aware. For me, I'm not sure that Philip is aware of what's going on. Afterwards, like the two guys on the road to Emmaus, this is how the story always goes in all of our lives. We think something divine is happening and we feel the spirit moving. We're not quite sure. And then afterwards, poof, we get it. Something happens and it makes us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Oh, that was the Lord speaking to us back there. So I'm not sure he really knows, and I don't know how the angel is doing this, but afterwards he's going to know for sure. But it's just amazing how God directs our paths, especially when we don't even know he's doing it. When I was 18, we were living in Boston. I had just graduated high school. Uh, my all three siblings were also in high school. My father, uh, we had a beautiful home in New England. It was beautiful, Massachusetts. And my dad ran into some trouble with his company. He went bankrupt. And then, actually, he had some legal issues. And my dad wanted to run <laughs> and be a fugitive. So my dad is telling us, we got to go somewhere far. we got to get out of town. Uh, none of us are Christians at the time that God is going to do something. An angel's going to speak. Because I go and get the encyclopedia from upstairs with a C. And I bring it down. I said, Dad, they'll never find us in California. we got to go to California. It's California. It's like the angel again. California. California. <laughs> we open it up. We're just looking. Uh, Santa Cruz. That looks close to the beach. Palm trees, girls, you know. I'm driving the train. I'm like, Dad, they'll never find us. 1979. Uh, yeah, 77. They'll never find us. There's no computers. There's no iPhones. I didn't tell my dad that. <laughs> so we get on a plane. Don't tell our friends where we're going. Nothing. Leave the house as is and fled. Santa Cruz, where there's a Bible college in Santa Cruz where I will graduate from with my brother once we get saved in Santa Cruz, you see. So why did we pick Santa Cruz? There's no reason, and I was obsessed with it. Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, we got to go to Santa Cruz. 
Why? Because the angel's like thumping my head. That's how he does it. This is how he does it. And then looking back, you go, oh, remember we're standing in the kitchen and Ross ran up and got the encyclopedia and then you tell the story of the testimony and everybody goes, oh, that was God, right? That was God. He's at work in our lives. And so, yeah. Uh, how do you know? How did Philip know? Is this me? Or is this, a, you know, how do I know when God's prompting me? And it's not a worldly idea, or it's not my own idea, or it's not uh, the devil's idea. Well, you trial and error. Trial and error. You, you become a mature Christian through practice, through constant use, by reading the Bible, meditating on the Word, sitting in sermons, hearing His voice, spending time walking with Him. You just start to know that familiar, there it is. Now, you know also when it's you, when you get to the end of the south road and there's nothing there but a dead end. You're like, whoops, you know. And how dangerous it is to say, the Lord told me this, the Lord, I know the Lord told me that. We should say as best as I know, the Lord is saying. Because when you get to the end of the south road and you've been telling everybody and their mother, the Lord spoke, well, the south road, and you get there and then boom. Then What? Then you're derailed. Everybody gets derailed. And they start saying, you know, God told me this, and then boom. It's like, dude, user error. That's what happened there. You thought you heard from God. When that happens to me, I just go, whoopsies, <laughs> you know? You know, or he gets to the chariot, and instead of seeing a Bible, he sees a sword. <laughs> you know, what you want, you know? He can tell. Whoops, I thought I heard the Lord. <laughs> But no, but when he gets and sees an Ethiopian on that not traveled very well road, reading the Bible, he's like, duh, it was the Lord. The Lord said, glue yourself in the Greek. Glue yourself. And how does he do that? I don't think he heard an audible voice. He just had this overwhelming, passionate desire. I've got to get over there and see what's going on over there. That's how God works. And so, yeah, a couple insights about our, our brother Philip that I can't resist before we meet our Ethiopian brother. The first thing that struck me is how easy it is for God to communicate to him. Not every Christian picks up when God is calling. Sometimes God calls and says, I got this thing. And, 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 and he gets a busy signal. Remember those? <laughs> God will call the people he knows will always pick up for him. And we've got friends uh, that you know, they never pick up. They never return texts. Why would, if something's heavy on the line, like something's important, why would I bother <laughs> calling them? I call the guy that could do the job that always picks up. And this dude's always uh, picking up. Listen, God, Jesus encourages anyone who follows him to live in a heightened state of awareness, spiritually speaking. Constantly saying, wake up. Be alert. Are you listening? You have ears. He said this, not me. Use them. God gave you two ears, spiritually speaking. Listen for him. Be ready. Be aware. Be alert. But if you're <laughs> so filled with your own agenda, your own issues, your own problems, your own dreams... There's no room for God to, to get through to you. I love that this guy, I mean, this guy is teaching us this. It's not a question, does God want to speak to us? 
and prompt us into some exciting, fruitful areas for him? That's not the question. <laughs> the question is, am I able to hear? Am I desiring? Why would he even uh, call us to do something when we're not listening, we're not caring, we don't want to be? We're caught up with other things that we would regard more important than the will of God. That would be our lives. I got a life, okay? No, we, you don't have a life. You live and move and have your being in him. And you're on your way to, to see him and give an account of how you spent the life he gave you you don't want to get there and go, whoops, I, I missed the most important part about life. You just be saved and get there, but I have not much to show for it, so you don't want that. The second beautiful thing I notice about this guy is he's quick to do as he's told. No delaying, uh, no dragging of his feet, no asking himself, well, all the questions, well, where exactly on the road? You know, and why do you want me to go near that chariot? And what are the accommodations going to be like? And all of this stuff. Now, he, God doesn't call you to irresponsible living ever. But oftentimes he wants you to obey him in faith as his will becomes evident. And I'll tell you, I've got a good example of this. Uh, Barbara and I were living in San Francisco with our three little kids, three five and seven at the time, made it so clear. Time to go. But we didn't know where. We had two options, Santa Rosa or San Jose. And I kept waiting. God, open the door. Show me where to go. And he kept turning up the heat. We're like, we're both like, we got to go. And so I said in a quiet time to the Lord, Lord, as soon as you open a door, I'll gladly give my 30-day notice. And I felt like he said, no. You give your 30-day notice, and then I'll open the door. Oh, yeah, you all were like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> That's how he is so into this faith thing. Abraham, get up and go. Abraham's like, okay, where? He's like, I'll tell you. Let's start moving. Move in the direction. I told you to get up and go, and I'll guide you. I'll make sure all the details. You know, that's how it is. And so he's just quick to obey. I love that about him. He's, you know, and the thing about it is, look at what, how about his feelings in this? He just led a huge revival. He's the food pantry guy. He's the food pantry guy. Now he's rubbing shoulders with who? Peter and John, famous. He, he, he's like arrived in his ministry. And the Lord says, now I want you to go somewhere where there's no people. There's no neighborhoods down that road. There's a lot of cactus, a lot of sidewinders. There's no Home Depot, nothing. You're just going to say, I threw that in for all you builders. But I want you to go down. And yes, sir, backpack packed. What is it with that guy? Doesn't he have a life? No, he would say, isn't God our life? Isn't doing the will of God what, what makes you alive inside? Yeah, no. And so, yeah. And what about all the support you're going to lose? You're going to lose support, man. Yes, we know. We only move if it's bigger and pays better and more personally rewarding because that's the Lord. But to leave a thriving work where there's lots of people and support and action and all of the things I love, that can't be from the Lord. He couldn't be telling me to leave that and go down some wilderness road. Oh, uh, yeah. He might be. 
he might be, I beg you, do not use as a filter income. Just don't do it. You, you know, you'll only take a move, you'll only make a move if there's more in it for you. What if there's just the same in it for you or a little bit less but made up in some other ways like fulfilling God's purpose, right? So there, think about that. <laughs> a lot of you are, I see it in your faces. The man inside the chariot, he's an interesting character. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia, trip of a lifetime. He's important. That word in the Greek is uh, vast authority, power, trust. Uh, he's the comptroller, pronounced controller, or uh, the uh, he's the secretary of the treasury for the royal economy, the business, the financial affairs of the government and the nation. Now, a few things about this guy that's very uh, unique, 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 unique. <laughs> Um, if you don't know what the word eunuch means, then you have to ask Siri, all right? So if you ask Siri, don't do it in line at Safeway. Uh, just do it when you get in the car, shut the doors and ask her and she'll tell you. Um, I can say vaguely it was common for kings to require male officials who work closely with their wife or their wives to undergo the surgery. That way, Candace's husband can rest assured that Candace is safe in the presence of her constant attendant, the eunuch. And that's what makes him unique. Uh, he's made a pilgrimage. <laughs> He's a devout Gentile convert. He's traveled a thousand miles. That's a lot further than you have to come from Petaluma, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, he has the resources and a burning desire to see the Holy Land. Um, he believes in the God of Israel. How did he hear of the God of Israel in Ethiopia? That's easy. Jesus referred to the Queen of the South, remember in Matthew 12, pointing back to 1 Kings 10 and Solomon's day when the Queen of Sheba visited and the whole earth had heard about Solomon's wisdom because God gave it to him to say and said this to him, no one will be as wise as, as you on the whole earth ever. Word got out and uh, entourages came including, at that time, the queen of Ethiopia. And she left Solomon's presence out of her mind, in love with Solomon's God, and brought more than just gifts from Israel back. She brought the gospel back. And that centuries later, there's still some Old Testament faith going on there that this man fell in love with. Now, you want to know <laughs> divine appointments? This, just they're everywhere. How about this one? Miss Hannah, who spearheads the a ministry to Ethiopia, went to Ethiopia the last two weeks and has just now arrived home. And today, third service, she is going to talk about her uh, mission to spy out the land for a Christian school in Ethiopia. And it just so happens that today's the meeting for that. And I preach verse by verse 
with, with, with no planning of anything. I just pick up where we left off. And today, we're talking about Ethiopia in the passage, right? Well, I told that to the guys at prayer at 6 in the morning. And they said, don't you remember what happened when you first introduced the ministry five years ago? It fell on Matthew 12 when Jesus referenced the Queen of Sheba coming from Ethiopia. So how does God do that? He's really good. He's a multitasker. That's all I have to say. <laughs> he just really is. And you know what he said there? He goes, you're on the right track. That's what that meant. Right? You're on the right track. And so, yes, and sure, for sure. Um, sadly, though, he's leaving town without the Messiah, without the gospel. Uh, we want to see what happened here. Uh, he's dejected. He's brokenhearted, for sure. Um, and uh, God sees the brokenhearted, and, he, and he's, got a, he's got a friend in Philip. And God says, I see somebody I need to reach, Philip. I can't give you all the details. I just need you to get to him. And he says, I'm available. God sent me. He says, thank you, because we, me and you, we're going to save him. Verse 30. So Philip runs alongside the wagon. He hears him reading the Bible out loud. And he says, hey, do you get what's going on there? And he says, no way. How could I understand it unless somebody explained it to me? 32. He just happens to be reading verses 7 and 8 there that Jesus was led to uh, the slaughter like a lamb. He was quiet. He didn't protest. 33, he was stripped naked, humiliated, spat upon, deprived of justice. It was all a kangaroo court, false accusations. Who can speak of his descendants because they executed him for his life was taken uh, from the earth? The eunuch asks, who's he talking about? So let's talk about this. So the prompt check and now the prophecy it's king of all prophecies regarding the work of Christ. It just shows every Jew, you can trust in a crucified Christ. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah, same thing. How could anybody believe in a conquering king who dies and is put to death? Well, if you have a whole chapter called Isaiah 53, then the Jewish people go, aha, heads up. First he comes to die, forgive our sins pay for our sins, and then he comes to judge the world. See, it's all there. And it's so effective at saving Jews. Almost every Messianic Jew is a Jew who believes in Jesus like me and several others in the congregation. And like my father, who read Isaiah 53, and boom, like a freight train. Because it says, look, this is Jesus, right here in the Tanakh, our Hebrew Bible. You see, I heard a testimony, I've told you this before, a Christian to a Jew, he says to his Jewish friend, listen, I'm going to read something to you, tell me where I'm reading. So he reads these verses from Isaiah 53, and the guy says, duh, it's from your Catholic Bible, the New Testament, about your Jesus. And he goes, wrong, check this out, it's Isaiah, our prophet. And he said, what is Jesus doing in our Bible? The answer, dying for your sin, sir. 
dying for your sins so you don't get judged. Well, I do a lot of good works. What about your bad ones? What are you going to tell the judge? Listen, judge, I know I stole five cars. But listen, I feel really bad about it. And basically, I do a lot more than just stealing cars. I do a lot of good things. And the judge is supposed to say, oh, okay. Well, then fine. Who cares about the five cars you stole? Because you're basically a good guy. You know, you give somebody the shirt off your back. What about the five cars? And what about the more than five lies and more five times of lusting and five times of this and that, the 5,000 times? What about it? You think it's just going to wink, wink? No. Somebody has to pay. And here's the good news. He paid. I've got a little uh, bunch of verses there that come right before those two sentences to show you what's fresh in his mind. He wants to know who is this. Pierced. Pierced. There's no Roman uh, crucifixion 700 years before Christ. But just so you know, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins, our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace is upon him. He took it. And by his wounds, guess what? We're whole. We're like sheep. We don't go to our own ways off the proverbial cliffs. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he wants to know uh, who is this man. And so, yeah, as he gets closer to uh, the chariot, he's understanding bullseye, duh, the light goes off. I've got the, I've been hearing the Lord. And sometimes it's a no-brainer, let me tell you. We could, yeah, thanks for going back there. Uh, Sometimes it's a no-brainer, right? So on Friday after Thanksgiving, (laughs) Barb gets a phone call. I'm standing in the living room across from where she's at. And she goes, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be exciting. (laughs) And, And here's what the woman told her. Hi. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, somehow she got Barb's number. I wonder how. And uh, she says, we're just calling from the neighborhood Kingdom Hall Hall to tell you some good things and some encouraging words. And Barb says, can I put you on speakerphone? Because my husband would love to talk to you. (laughs) So she puts her on speakerphone, and she goes, sir, are you familiar with the Jehovah's Witnesses? And I said, yes, I am. I'm a pastor of a Christian church. It's a little bit different from what you believe, because we believe that Jesus is God, and he is Lord, and we can do no good things. So she didn't ask me anything (laughs) enough to, but I started in on her. Why? Because you know what? You know what? God didn't, see, see, this is the thing. Once the prompts, once he gets to the chariot, he doesn't need any more prompts. He knows what to do. I didn't need the Lord to to fire off a flare like, hey, man, share the gospel. And that's how Christian life is. It unfolds quite naturally. And once he gets you to the place, once he gives that girl Barb's phone number and tells Barb, and you know an angel standing there and says, pick it up, because she doesn't pick up calls she doesn't recognize unless the spirit of the lord says pick it up and she picks it up and make sure that ross is out of the bedroom and standing right there and ready to go then it just falls into place 
But are you looking? You gotta be looking. Don't be praying. I want to be used by God because there's no better, greater honor, no better feeling in the world. And so, if you walk with God, much of God's will is easy to discern. You know, you'll just know what to do. Um, so yeah, we don't tell everyone we meet about Jesus, uh, but there are Holy Spirit prepared moments, and you have to be ready for that. When your coworker cozies up next to you in a seat that's rather too close, and you're just feeling like, what are they doing sitting? Why are you sitting next to me today? And you start to get a weird feeling, like something's going on. And they just sigh and say, oh, I can't believe what's going on in the world. This is crazy. It's freaking me out. I just don't know what to do. Long pause. Boom. The Spirit of God brought that person to sit down there. And if you're just concerned about your pastrami sandwich <laughs> or what you've got going on, you've got to be listening. I told you about eating uh, at Heald College where I was a teacher in a very quiet uh, lunchroom with about, I'd say, 15 of the instructors all eating their lunch quietly. And then one guy's reading the paper, and he says out loud, he says, uh, oh, plane crash in a small plane crashed on the golf course here in Concord. And uh, wow, guy died. He goes, I, I wonder what it's like to die. I wonder if it hurts to die. And then another teacher says, well, we'll never know, because nobody ever died and came back to tell us. And then the dead silence. And like 14 angels are like looking at me like, I wonder, Pastor Ross, no one's ever died and come back to tell us about it? And I said, well, actually, someone did die and come back to tell us, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it was that quiet. <laughs> And everybody went back to their pastrami sandwiches. <laughs> but please, I'm not going to get to a divine appointment and just sit there like I don't know anything. Yeah, that's right. Nobody ever died and came back. Okay, so Philip wants, he does a little fishing for men. You know, that's what the question is. Who Are you a believer? Do you know this? Do you normally read Isaiah? Do you actually know that that's Jesus? He wants to know. Where do I start with this guy? Right? And, he, and, he, and the honest, humble answer of the seeker, how could I know? There are parts of this Old Testament so hard to understand. Somebody's got to help me with that. So humble, so honest. And even there are passages in the New Testament, that are very difficult through the pen and Holy Spirit, through the genius of Paul. Peter says in the New Testament about Paul, some of what Paul writes is hard to understand. That's why God gives teachers, pastors, and evangelists who tread over, he gives this illustration of the ox that treads over the grain and separates the the digestible from the husk, so that you can make bread. That's the job of the pastor. 
and so or the evangelist and so uh, we're able to do that and so by the way first john says the gospel and the bible simple you don't even need a teacher says you've got the holy spirit basically the book the gospel the lord heaven and hell salvation it's easy not hard that's why john says you don't need you have the holy spirit you get it the second I walked out of the disco, saved at 19 years old, I got it. I got it. God in heaven, good. Satan in hell, bad. Don't go to hell. Go to heaven. Do what God wants you to do now. Stop sinning. Nobody had to tell me any of that. Did they have to tell you that? No. Thank you. One person is with me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So sad to say he's wealthy. He's devoutly religious. He's well-educated. Uh, he's got great authority. Uh, but he doesn't have Jesus. He's smart enough to read the manuscript, but not uh, wise enough to understand the message. One writer said this about seekers. He said, he's the real deal. He really is a seeker. Because as the writer said, there are a lot of people who say they're seekers, but they're not actually seekers because, and here's what the writer said, here's how we know this guy's a real seeker from those who are disingenuous and may be kind of deceiving themselves a little bit. If one is seeking God with a sincere heart, God makes sure they find him. They find him. A seeker will find the Lord and not stay lost. That's it. That's it. Now, you can seek and do a little pushing back and a little investigating. All of that is cool. But when you're confronted with what you say you're seeking. I, I'm looking for chocolate cake. I love chocolate cake. I would like to have a piece of chocolate cake, but I'm not so sure about it. Okay. And then someone slides you a big, fat slice of the Costco chocolate cake. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the, the low roar go through. We've had that chocolate cake. And someone slides you a big, quarter-sized piece right in front of you, and you start with your silly questions. How do I know it's not vanilla? How do I, what, what's, in, what's in it? Who made it? And all of these silly nonsense things. Take a bite of what you say you're seeking. Taste and see that the cake is good. <laughs> Taste and see that the, in this case, the Lord is good. So this seeker, he's the real deal. Because when he's thirsty for living water and the living water touches his lips... Ah, well, that's it. That's what I, I want this. Get up here. I'm open. Tell me. No, I don't get it. I want to know. Look, there's water. I want to be baptized. See, see, he, he's open, and God gives him what he's seeking. We've seen the prompt. We've seen the prophecy. Now, the baptism. <laughs> Verse, verses up here. Now, good. So Philip, verse 35, he starts with that very text, and he shares the gospel, the good news about Jesus. They travel down the road. They just happen to spy out a little oasis. Hey, a little water. Why couldn't you baptize me right here and now, right? And he commands the chariot to be stopped. By the way, there's a few people on that uh, in the entourage there uh, making a very costly and dangerous trip very challenging to come from Africa 2,000 years ago 
They get into the water together, down goes the Ethiopian, and up they come, and up goes uh, Philip. And so Philip, however, uh, let me see, where did I lost my place? He snatched up. The eunuch never sees him again. But he gave the word, and he got back uh, on the road rejoicing. And Philip, uh, however, appears at Azotus. It's about 30 miles uh, north. So what's up with this poor guy? He made a trip because he wanted to be in the promised land, the Bible heroes, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll, I'll get all this emptiness and all my questions answered. If I could just, I know I have the money, I know I have the desire. Candace said, do it. So he gets a few people, some security. Six months, trips in all the way up there. He comes around the corner, and when you go on the tour, you're on the bus, you, come, you start climbing to get to Jerusalem. And you see the signs, and you're just like, you get goosebumps, and you're like, and then they always do this thing. They plug in a CD that's just powerful. And it's got the song, it's got the words about Jerusalem in it. And you come around the bend, and the, the, the sun is hitting the limestone, and you're just, wow. That's what happened to him. And he thought when he got in the temple in the courts of the Gentile was where he would be, that he would get what he's looking for. And he's left with Pharisees telling him, work, 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 more, 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 kosher, kosher, kosher. He's got priests who said, you want to buy some lambs for it's the holidays? You, you need some kosher lambs? We just charge you 10 times the going rate. And now that we see you're rich, we're going to make it 25 times. So this is what he's met with. And he's coming home. Where were the Christians? Oh, they're busy fleeing for their lives. That's the section we're in. So there's no church to, to welcome him, tell him the gospel. But one guy got through to him. One guy said, hey, man, listen, our Messiah, it's not what you think. He came in the form of a man and died on a cross. They crucified him, but he rose again. And as he's going out of town, he's like, check out Isaiah. That's a so what I would have done. I love yelling into people's windows and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> i got so many stories. I, you know, I'll just continue with the sermon. Yeah, so check out Isaiah. So the guy's like, he's got a clue. Could he have died? Could he have come? He said, it's in Isaiah. Find it. And just what God had to do to get that guy at that moment on that verse there, reading out loud to hear that, oh, my word, but God so loves that eunuch. He doesn't want him to go home empty-hearted, right? And so he, he starts to get it. He starts to tell him the gospel. And he, and, he, and he started from like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. And he's saying, listen, you know why he didn't open his mouth? Because he, pl he planned it. It's his plan. You know how your sins, you know, you have to bring a lamb. He's the lamb. So you don't have to do that anymore because he'll change your heart. He'll come in by the Holy Spirit. And he started to tell him all about uh, this wonderful God who would endure the slander, being the false accusations from the Sanhedrin, be ridiculed by Herod 
flogged by Pilate, mocked and spat upon by soldiers, even though he's God in a human body, stripped down. Half the commentators say he had a loincloth. Half of them say he did not. God. Nailed to a piece of wood that I like to say he created. Because by him on the cross, all things were created. And that is why the sun had a hard time shining when its creator was gasping for breath. So he said to the eunuch, Mr. Ethiopian, I'm glad to tell you that he opened not his mouth because if he did, call on 12 legion of angels, 72,000 angels down. There'd be a bloodbath. There'd be a pre-apocalypse right there. If Jesus just said, you know what? Not doing it. But no, Mr. Ethiopian, listen up. All your sins went on him, and all his goodness goes on you. And he's like, boom. There's water right there. Baptize me now. That's a saved soul. That's a saved soul. I want to do this. He wants to feel the waters flow over him and feel clean, raised to a new life. Old shame, old sin covered over, being raised from the dead. And now what's up with this personal rapture? Verse 39, why did the Lord just snatch him up like that? Philip, uh, there's a practical and spiritual reason, I would say. A practical. They've been on the chariot for hours? Maybe. How far have they gone? Far. There's no food. There's not clean water everywhere. How's he getting back? The Lord's like, you serve me, I provide for you. I'll give you a lift home, okay? And, and, and so what if Philip thought he was called to Ethiopia? Come with us, man. Oh, you got to come, brother. I can just hear it. Oh, you love Ethiopian food. We can't wait to, for you to meet everybody. And this is an evangelist like an evangelist, crazy evangelist guy. Oh, we can have a ministry in Ethiopia. And you know, the Lord knows Philip would go in a heartbeat. But he doesn't want him to go to Ethiopia. He wants this guy and the retinue to go. And that brings me to the spiritual reason. The spiritual reason is he wants this to be an indelible, impactful moment. This is just not a, a freak thing that happened. This is a real God thing so that everybody knew, wow, God has been among us. And they take the gospel. They, the team, they go back to Ethiopia with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that disappearance thing, I can imagine, you know, he's still dripping wet. He turns to say, hey, man, thanks, bro. What? And he just goes, boom, you know, like that. It just, that's the way it's going to be. Any moment, they're going to be looking at us, and they're going to be looking at me at Starbucks, fighting over the mask policy. Why do I have to say things like that? Oh, the first thing I'll tell Barb is, why did I say that? She'll go, you always do. <laughs> you know, I'll be going like, the, the, the problem for me is I can have to wear it while I'm talking to her, and then I take four steps over here and sit down, and I can take it up. So I always have to bring that up to her, and 
she's like, yeah, can we get to the order? Yeah. <laughs> and one moment they're going to be looking at us and he's going to take us away. And when the church is gone, the earth is going to see. It's going to be a hard time for them. And God will bring this world to a close, but we get to go our way <laughs> rejoicing. And that's what he did. Yeah, he goes his way rejoicing because he's got a clean life. He's found the living water. He's seeking no more <laughs> because his soul is saved. He belongs to God. Nothing can separate him. And for Philip, what happens to him? Well, guess what? We go dark on Philip, and we find him again in Acts 21. Guess what happens? He goes to Zotus. He preaches up the coast to Caesarea, as it says, and then he stops there. And in Acts 21, he reappears as a father and a husband in a quiet life, raising four daughters with spiritual gifts, spiritual gift of prophecy, all four girls. He goes from a huge ministry, the only guy in the New Testament that gets a personalized rapture. He's got stories, but he's the kind of guy that can say, when God says, okay, now I want you, here's this girl, I want you to settle down, get married, raise some kids, work hard, be a blessing. You're out of the limelight now. And he says, yes, sir. And when Paul and Luke come to town on their last visit to Jerusalem in Acts 21, they stay at Philip's house with his four girls and his lovely wife, and they got stories. And wouldn't you want to be around that campfire and hear the stories of Paul and Luke sharing their divine appointments and Philip sharing his. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. We pray that you would help us, God, to be more like Philip, more open and ready and alert, wanting to hear your voice, and then with the grace of God to act in obedience. More divine appointments, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.